You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake Michigan Bible Conference 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Now, here is Howard Sugden on Today in the Word Radio. At the turn of this century, there was a man by the name of Henry Cabot Lodge, who was editor-in-chief of a set of books entitled The History of Nations. Imagine editing a set of books, 25 volumes of history of nations. He mentions Jesus Christ with these words. It was under Pontius Pilate that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ took place. That's his statement. Footnote. It is unnecessary to say more, for everyone knows the biblical account. Imagine anyone daring to say that, that everyone who would read the history of the nations would understand the biblical account of an hour in human history when all history was changed by the death of a person. What does the Bible have to say about the death of Jesus Christ? Well, it affirms that the death of Christ is the central point in the world's history. At the center of history is the death of Jesus Christ. The past pointed forward to it. The present looks back upon it. And the, in the eternal future, it will always be remembered. I think we will be singing Handel's Messiah, and we will be singing about He shall reign forever. Now, if you are to study the death of Jesus Christ, you have to start in Genesis. We won't do that this morning, only to suggest to you what you will do, and I know you will. You will go back and you will watch Adam and Eve clothed, and you will understand there was the cross. You will watch Noah as he builds an ark and then pitches it within and without and understand that that is the word that is used for the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You will see the night when Jacob, dear Jacob, saw the angels of God ascending and descending upon a ladder. And the Lord Jesus had the audacity to say to Nathanael, I was that ladder. And the way to heaven is the way that I have planned. You will climb the lonely mountainside with Abraham and hear him talk with Isaac and see the altar builded and Isaac placed upon it. And then you will see a lamb caught in a thicket right there. And you will understand the cross was there. Now it is not only in type in the Old Testament. 
And the study of the types is a magnificent study and great to preach on. But then you will go to the Psalms, and of course you could preach from many Psalms, but to stop at Psalm 22, that first opening Psalm of that triptych of Psalms of 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, which are all tied together, one of the past, one of the present, and one of the tomorrow, and in that 22nd Psalm you will come to the grand climax of it all. It is finished. And you'll see the cross. And then you'll go to the prophets and preach on the prophets. Oh, I hope you preach on Isaiah 53. That is my delight to spend hours and hours and hours in Isaiah 53. I never want to leave it. You'll buy Young, Edward J. Young's books on Isaiah. Seven volumes he has, three in a set, but seven volumes on Isaiah. Deals with the authenticity and the authority of it and the authorship of it. And then you will get David Barron's wonderful book entitled The Servant of Jehovah, in which he spends a whole book on Isaiah 53. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his stripes I'm healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath caused to be laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the Old Testament comes to life around the cross of Jesus Christ. I do not know, as I would say, I'm a lover of Spurgeon. But Mr. Spurgeon visits with me a great deal. And I would have, I would think, maybe 75 volumes of Spurgeon's works. And I read him. Would you believe that on that day, momentous day in his life when he opened the tabernacle, that this is what he had to say about what would be preached in that tabernacle? I would propose that the subject of the ministry in this house as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, the subject shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself a Calvinist, he said. I do not hesitate to use the name of Baptist. But if I am asked, what is my creed, I reply, it is Jesus Christ. My predecessor, oh predecessors, my predecessor, Dr. Gill, has left a body of divinity, admirable and excellent in its way, but the body of divinity to which I bind myself forever God helping me is not his system or any other human treatise, but Jesus Christ, who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, and the all-glorious embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. And so Spurgeon focused in upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
I am a lover of hymns. When I was saved, I remember the first hymn I learned. It took me about a half day to learn it. I was a teenager, and I learned in loving kindness, Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim. And from the depths of sin and shame, through grace he lifted me. From sinking sand he lifted me. With tender hand he lifted me from shades of night to plains of light. Oh, praise his name. He lifted me. For 25 years I lived in Sankey Hymnal and tried to memorize hundreds of hymns. Oh, the theology of them. Now this is one that I, that I read because of its value. Do you know a man by the name of Midlane, M-I-D-L-A-N-E? He wrote about 300 hymns. This, I think, is his greatest. The perfect righteousness of God is witnessed in the Savior's blood. Tis in the cross of Christ we trace how God can save us righteously. God could not pass the sinner by. His sin demands that he must die. But in the cross of Christ we see how God can save us righteously. The sin is on the Savior laid. Tis in his blood sin's debt is paid. Stern justice can demand no more. And mercy can dispense her store. The sinner who believes is free can say, the Savior died for me, can point to the atoning blood and say, this made my peace with God. The whole thrust of Holy Scripture is the death of Jesus Christ. And we look at that death this morning to find first that the death of Christ was purposed. It was a purposed death. I always feel sorry for the Lord Jesus about Easter time. We have little squibs in our paper, you know, Lenten thoughts, perish them. They have little Lenten thoughts, and people sit down and write about how tragic it was that man destroyed Jesus, and how he was caught and became a victim of circumstances. Oh, it was not that way. He said himself, no man taketh my life from me. The Roman authorities, the Roman armies, the rulers, no man taketh it. I lay down my life, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Peter wrote about this. And he was very dogmatic about it, first of all, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, which we quoted yesterday. He was a man accredited of God, approved of God. He was delivered up by the sovereign hand of God. And being delivered up by God, men took him and fulfilled God's program. 
He was not a victim. He was a victor. When Peter writes his own word about this, moved by the Spirit of God, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says that we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb slain from, you know the rest, don't you? The foundation of the world, who was verily foreordained and was delivered in these last times for us. So the Lord Jesus walked constantly from the beginning of his ministry until that day under the shadow of the cross. His death was purposed. Now I want you to follow me as we read through the Gospel of John a couple of times this morning. Let's go to John and see how this death was purposed death and he was conscious of it. John chapter 2. I am amazed that the Lord Jesus revealed over and over and over again, as we shall see, that his death was a planned and purposed death. Now, you, you, you did not know this, did you? But I have a terminal disease. You do too, don't you? Someone says to me, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm fine, but I have a terminal disease. <laughs> I know this, I know this, and sometimes I think about it. I thought about it when I was a child because I went to a funeral one day for my classmate who was seven years old, and I sat on the front seat in that little home. We didn't have funeral parlors in those days. And I sat on the front seat, front chair in that home, and my father sang. He sang at every funeral in that whole countryside. And he stood up and sang, not now, but in the future years, sometime we'll understand. And here was a seven-year-old boy grappling with this tremendous problem of why do people die? And then I learned, as you learned, that by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so the death passed upon all men because all have sinned, and because I have sinned, I have a terminal disease and sometime I will die. Someone said to a friend of mine, what's the death rate in your city? And he said, one apiece. <laughs> now, now, the Lord Jesus, not only, he was aware, of, I am aware of this, I am aware of what's going to happen to me, but I do not know how it's going to happen to me. It may be in a DC-10 when the engine falls off. I have ridden in those planes, and I always thought that the engines would fall off when I was in them, because they were out there on the wings shaking like that. But maybe not a DC-10. Maybe it'll be on the highway. Maybe it'll be in the quietness of my home, like my friend not long ago. They just walked in, and there he was. He'd read his Bible, dropped his head, and went to heaven. I haven't a notion of how it's going to take place. But when the Lord Jesus walked from the day he left, the, I believe the cradle. Someone said, when did he become God? He always was God. He was aware of how he was going to die. Now let's look. In John chapter 2, you have it, don't you? 
John 2, and we are in verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. They were cleansing the temple, and he talked about the temple, which was his body. John 3.14, we can't go through many of these only to point out how carefully our Lord was to inform those who heard him that his death was an appointed death. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He said, there is a day coming when I will be taken out and upon a cross I will be lifted up just like that serpent was lifted up in the Old Testament, which was a picture of my dad. John 8 and 28. You can multiply these men in your study. You will do this. I know you will. John 8 and 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man... Then shall ye know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. John 10, verse 11. Oh, wonderful verse, blessed verse. John 10 and 11. You mark them, you're doing it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Notice the word we quoted over in verse 17, same chapter. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. No man could ever say this as Spurgeon said. No man could ever say a word like this. Now go over to John 12. These words in John 12 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He said, I am that grain of wheat that will be dropped into the ground as a result of my death, and I will bring forth a great harvest. I had a friend of mine died not long ago. He was an old man, real old, and he had made a lasting impact upon my life. He was a Plymouth Brethren Bible teacher, and we traveled together, and then we got to know each other so intimately. And when they buried him, they had his casket, and on the casket, one lone sheaf of wheat. And he was just that kind of man. He had fallen into the ground and died as he had ministered. But he got it from this. Jesus said, I'm the corn of wheat. I will be cut down. I will be planted. I will be raised again. Now notice what he says down in verse 31. Tre tremendous. Oh, pastors, don't you get goosebumps when you think about these truths and to, and to proclaim them? Now, verse 31, is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, 
I will draw all men unto me. All men not without exception, but all men without distinction. This he said, signifying what manner of death he should die. Oh, his death was a purposed death. Planned by the eternal sovereign God with his son in ages past. That then at a point of time in history, upon earth, in our school up at Michigan State, I'm glad everybody, we're, we're learning everything. And I'm glad some of them come to me so I can help them learn. Well, a group of young fellows came the other day and said, Pastor Sugden, do you think there is life on other planets? I said, I don't. They said, you don't. Oh, I said, I don't. They said, why don't you? Well, for many reasons. One reason is because the scientists are not really sure about this. They think there may be life out there. Well, I know there's life out there because there's a man in the glory. So there's one kind of life out there. But uh, for life, we can hardly live here. How could we live out there? <laughs> you know. We can hardly live here. I can hardly make it. So we have to, if we put a man out in space, we have to give him all the things in his little nodule that he goes up in. We have to have all kinds of things and how he eats. Now, you know what the earth is? The earth is the theater of the universe. It is the place where the drama of man's redemption was enacted. And if God has any other words for any other worlds. I do not know about this, but I know that God's word for this world is Jesus Christ. I know that. So it was a purpose death. Now, with that purpose death, the death of Christ was not only purpose, but the death of Christ was for me. Just think, it was for me. So it becomes a very personal thing, doesn't it? He died for our sins according to the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Romans 5 says he died for the ungodly. Galatians, you love this, 2 and 20, said he loved me and gave himself for me. Now I... I, I, I wondered about this. How many, how, how many did he die for? And I love this. You, you'd want me to read about that, wouldn't you? Because it'll help you. It'd help me. I, I, was, I, have been, because I, I won't tell you about the rest of it. So let, let, I want you to, to, to walk with me. Go with me to John 129. We're, ju we're just reading. Th this will help you. And as it has helped me, in John 1.29, I would like to have been there that day when John reached out his bony prophetic finger and pointed at a man who walked down the riverside of Jordan. Mrs. Sugden and I have walked there. and I, I never walked there, but what I think, wouldn't it be something today to see the Lord Jesus walk down this riverside? 
What it must, it must have been an electrifying thing. John had been talking about Jesus, and now he says, look at what he says. Verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, behold the Lamb of God who beareth away the sin of the world. He says, there is the Lamb. He said, once a Lamb died for a man, Isaac. Once a lamb died for a nation, Exodus 12. And here's God's lamb dying for a world. That, that's, what, that's what John said about Jesus. Go to John 3.17. Everybody knows John 3.16. Did you know there was a John 3.17? It's right after 3.16. That's a, you have to be a theologian to know that, I'll tell you. John 3 and 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, salvaged. Sometimes I fly into Philadelphia. It's not one of my favorite places to fly into, but I fly in. And then to get out of the airport is something else. But one of the things I enjoy doing is when we go over that long bridge where it takes three hours to go a mile, you know, and you come over the top and you look down, and here is something you've never seen. You see, uh, you see a thousand automobiles stacked up, and they're in little heaps that high. There, there's your last Cadillac right there, and it's that thick. And they bring all the cars in. They, they drop these big things on them and squoze them down. The pintos are about an inch thick. The Cadillacs are about three inches thick. And then you know what they do? They put them in the hopper. And they run them through. And when they come out on the other end, they're solid dust. And I said to the man who was driving me, what is that? He said, that's the salvage place. He said, the old one goes in this end and the new one comes out this end. <laughs> and that's exactly true. They just put them in the old ones here and they take all the dust that comes out here and they make new ones. And I thought, isn't it wonderful that there was an hour when God sent his son into the world to salvage us? Who? Me, he said. Go to John 4 and 42. It get, really, you could spend all the rest of the day just reading this. And Jesus said unto the woman, they said unto the woman, notice, verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. To believe that Jesus Christ, in his death upon the cross, was reconciling men to himself in his death. It was for me. Let's take, oh, maybe a couple more. Shall we do it? Just to do it. In 6 and 33, you have found this. For the bread of God. Jesus said, verse 32, unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, who giveth his life for the world. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And when I read these magnificent truths, my heart is thrilled. We have walked the streets of Athens. We, we sat where the philosophers sat. We thought of all the people of all the world of all time. And to think that there was a time when under an eastern sky, Amid a rabble's cry, a man went forth to die for me. And he said, I came to give my life a ransom for the many. So the death of Christ was purposed, and the death of Christ was for us. But the death of Christ was effective and is effective. It was purposed. It was for us. It is an effective. Now, maybe just a few verses. Matthew 20, 28. He gave his life a ransom for many. He gave his life as a payment for the many. Who did he pay it to? According to Exodus 30 and 12, he paid the price to God, not as Origen thought, and he paid it to the devil. He paid the price to God. The debt I owed I could not pay, for I was helpless from the fall. And still I heard my Savior say that he had paid it all. And we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Read the last verse sometime of Romans 4. Do you know that the last verse of Romans 4 is just before Romans 5? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How do we happen to have peace with God today? According to Romans chapter 4 and the last verse of that chapter, he was delivered for our offenses. And he was raised. You know what? He was raised because the debt was paid. I had a man once who was very, he was an angry man. He was angry at everybody. He had been hurt. And having been hurt, he was striking back. He was an insurance man. And he sold me insurance. And Mrs. Sugden is my bookkeeper. Oh, it is great to have a wife who has a business ability. I don't have any. I wouldn't know what to do if I had it. So God gave it to her and said, now you take care of him. So we took care of all the bills. and. I had paid a bill, and then there came a crisis in this man's life when he was striking back at everybody. And he said, you know, Pastor Sugden doesn't pay his bills. And someone came to me and said, do you know that you don't pay your bills? I said, oh, I don't pay anything. I said, he is right. He is absolutely right. I said, I've never paid a bill in my life. I said, I've never written a check in my life. I guess twice. So we scrounged around, and you know what we found? We found the bill, and it had been marked paid. And you know what? He just couldn't say anything. 
And there was a day when outside, and I stood there, I, I stood right there, and I looked up at that skull, and I said, it looks like it could be the place when he was placed there between heaven and earth, and all the debt that I had ever owed, he paid for me. And uh, it's all paid. And regardless of what the accuser says, the debt is paid, and I have the, the bill marked paid. He was delivered for my offenses. And the fact that they were paid is because he was raised from the dead. And I know it today. And you know what it does for you? It puts a song in your heart. It gives you the joy we talked about last night, doesn't it? I hear the accusers roar of ills that I have done. But they're all paid. Then go, go to Hebrews 9. Wonderful word in Hebrews 9 about this. Because it works two ways. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Verse 25. Now are yet that he should offer himself as the high priest entereth often into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Going back to that wonderful ritual of the Old Testament in Leviticus 16, which you must preach on, you must preach on. And you will read it, won't you? Sometime this afternoon, you, you will read Leviticus 16. Great chapter. Now, he said, uh, our high priest doesn't offer himself and offer himself every day, every year. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, or the end of the age, hath he appeared to, next three words, class, put away sin. Isn't that amazing? Old Testament days, sin was covered. All the sacrifice of the Old Testament covered sin. And everyone who brought an, a sacrifice in the Old Testament looked forward and said, somebody's going to come someday. You know, somebody's going to come. They're going to take the whole thing away. And so they were covered in Old Testament days. But then he came and he put them away. He just put them away by the sacrifice of himself. Put them away, carried them away. He was God's perfect priest. I have a friend, he's dead now. And is in heaven and enjoying it there. But I remember many times being with Harry Rimmer, who was the scientist of his day and has been on this platform many times. You know him, dear. Thank you. Well, uh, Harry was something else. I remember hearing him for a week on one verse in Ephesians. That was a great treat, I'll tell you, something else. Well, Harry was down at the Winona Inn that everyone knows now. And it was on a Lord's Day morning, and Harry was dressed for the morning service to speak in the tabernacle. And he goes in and sits down in the dining room and picks up the menu and said, Oh, my, those blackberries look so good on the menu. I haven't had blackberries since I was a child. So he orders them, and the waitress comes in. And as she goes to put them down, she spills them all down Harry Rimmer's white suit. It is now 8.30, and he preaches at 10 o'clock. What do you do with blackberries on your suit? at 8.30, and you preach at 11 or 10. But you didn't know Harry Rimmer. So he went back to the hotel, and you know what he did? He got out his white shoe polish and, <laughs> and covered them. <laughs> then he said, on Monday, I sent them to the cleaners and had it put away. Oh, that's a great deal of difference. 
And in the Old Testament days, they covered them. But now he puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, the death of Christ was not an incident or an accident. It was the plan and purpose of the eternal God. He purposed it. It was for us, and it has become effective because it puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, let's see how effective it is in accomplishing something for us, and turn with me to Romans 6, or Romans 5. Thank you. Romans 5. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Every man stands condemned in Adam. Every man is there. Babes go astray from their mother's womb speaking lies, the psalmist said. We're all included in Adam's sin. As by the judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. He said, God is now through the death of Christ dispensing life to men. Just think, I have an announcement to make to you that God is now justifying those who believe in Jesus Christ and giving them life. And in a world of bad news, this is the good news of God. Oh, save me, Lord, from lesser things. Save me from piddling out here in the shallows when here are the depths of God bringing men life. And sometime you dispense it to congregations as they listen. And there's a lost man, a lost woman. Sometimes it's out on the street. Sometimes it's in the plain. Sometimes it's somewhere else. But you are a dispenser of life. The death of Christ was purposed, was for us, was effective, and results in our having life and living triumphantly now. I got a letter from up in the Upper Peninsula. It said, Dear Pastor Sugden, there is in the hospital in Lansing, Sparrow Hospital, a boy who is in a coma. He has been in a coma for three months. Will you go and see him? I thought, now that's interesting. He had been in a car accident. I had read about the accident. I did not know him. But here was someone up in that Northland country who said, I have a friend, and he is in the hospital, and he needs help. I went to the door. There was a nurse. They had a nurse at the door to keep inquisitive people out. <laughs> And the nurse stood at the door, and I said, could I go in? And she said, are you an inquisitive man? 
No, I said, I'm not. She said, have you come to see this man, to see how he looks? I said, no. I have come to talk with him. And I said, I want to ask you something. Do you think that he can hear me? And she said, well, pastor, thank you for coming. We think that he can hear you. Isn't that something? She said, often they can. They can't, there's no response, but she said they can hear. So I'll tell you, it was something to go in and stand by that, that, by that hospital bed and talk to a man who was just a, a man about 17, 18 years of age, little bony body now, and to talk to him about the life that could be his in believing in Jesus Christ. And I explained simply to him, you say, how did you feel? Well, I wondered. I said, I hope he understands, dear Lord, and you take the message and make it live. And I would not be surprised that when I arrive in glory, I may see Alvin there, because he gives life to all who believe in him. Aren't you glad? And you are a dispenser of life. So the death of Christ was planned. It was for me. It is effective and brings us life. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake, Michigan Bible Conference 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.